Welcome to the Wilton Report, your local real estate market update with Josh Wilton, respected real estate agent, broker, consultant, and co-owner of Queenston Realty in Princeton, New Jersey. Each week on the Wilton Report, Josh Wilton takes a deep dive into the research and analysis to provide you with the insider real estate information you need to buy and sell faster and smarter. Welcome back, everybody, to the 36th episode of The Wilton Report, the only podcast, videocast, dedicated to all things Princeton real estate. Today, we have a special format. Um, I have a guest on, Adrian Calaruso from Target Rock Wealth Management, and he is. it's going to be a great episode, so stay tuned. In order to be compliant, we just have to let you know that the views Adrian expresses in this podcast are his own and don't necessarily reflect the views of his firm, Target Rock Wealth Management. The information he shares is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as financial advice. That being said, strap in, it's gonna be a great episode. Okay, good morning and welcome back to the Wilton Report. This is our 36th episode and it's pretty exciting because it's our first episode where we have a guest um, a friend of mine and a customer and a Princeton resident, uh, Adrian Calarusso is here this morning and we are going to talk, of course, all things Princeton real estate. And Adrian is going to present, um, some interesting financial models for people who are thinking of becoming landlords and or are current landlords and are thinking about, um, the best use of their money. So that's going to be today's episode. So Adrian, welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, Josh. Thank you for being the first guest. I'm, hap <laughs> I'm happy to. Uh, I know we've been planning this for a while. Yep. All right. So um, pretty exciting. So why don't we start with you and your background? These guys are used to me talking. So kind of tell us your story and how you ended up in, on the Wilton Report. Yeah, sure. So um, one of my catchphrases is uh, Princeton born, raised, educated, and employed. Um, it's uh, a little bit of a technicality. I wasn't really born in Princeton. Uh, I just kind of feel like I have. Uh, my kids are now kind of born in Princeton. So if you consider both generations, you know, the Calarusos are born, raised, educated, and employed. Um, but, you know, grew up in New Jersey my whole life, uh, went to Princeton, uh, graduated, and stayed here. Um, and, you know, I, I spent 10 years at BlackRock um, in Princeton right here. I had this idea um, coming out of Princeton with an economics major. You know, I wanted to work in finance, but I wanted to have a successful career in that industry without ever having to go to Manhattan. And so far, so good. So far, so good. Uh, not that I never go to Manhattan. I still go. Uh, I just mean, I'm not going to do the daily schlep. You're not taking the 514 I'm not. Absolutely not. Um, I I'll do it occasionally. Uh, and my wife, God bless her. She does it you know, a couple times a week um, in, in her capacity as, a, as still at BlackRock. Um, but you know, we're, we are Princeton people. So what's the name of your new firm? Uh, so Target Rock Wealth Management. Um, it was founded by my partner, Matt McKee, uh, who also just moved down from Manhattan to the Princeton area. So we're, we have a draw here. The world comes to us here in Princeton. Good. We like that. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> super excited, develop, exciting development. We're about, uh, almost two years into our partnership in the wealth management business together. Um, he founded the firm. I actually met him down here at Springdale where, where I'm a member of playing golf. Um, his father-in-law is a member there. So I randomly got paired up with him one day and we hit it off. And, you know, this was about the time I was kind of halfway out the door at BlackRock thinking about my next career move. And he had just founded the firm and you know, we started talking about what he was doing exactly. And, you know, I started kicking the tires with him a little bit and 
I really thought he was a great guy and doing things the way I would do them myself. So um, when I left BlackRock, it was, you know, kind of rather than reinvent the wheel, uh, it was, you know, seemed a lot more efficient and perhaps more fun to uh, do, do this business with somebody who's already kind of broken that ground, so to speak. So now we're kind of building it together. Um, and, you know, we're, and now that we're kind of circumscribing ourselves around Princeton a little bit more with him coming down here, uh, you know, we want to, we want to grow with, with more Princeton families than we already have. So in any case, though, we want to kind of talk about, I think today, yeah. the intersection between your business and my business. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Yeah. So if you're a landlord, I would say, put your seatbelt on. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so why don't we talk about first things first, right? The best use of money. And I think that's really the, the concept of what we're talking about today. So you know, the, the conversation today is going to be geared towards probably existing landlords, but I think it's going to be geared towards people who are aspiring landlords, right? Um, or even aspiring homeowners, right? Aspiring homeowner too, right? Anyone and, who wants to own real estate as part of their wealth picture. Correct. And it's part of an overall asset class, right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the rate of return on Princeton rental properties for mm -hmm. landlords. Mm -hmm. We just did some research this morning and I think I was a little shocked in terms of that math. So you want to, you kind of explain what we what we saw. Yeah. So, I mean, long story short, the return potential is quite low, <laughs> which I, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners, I know there's a lot of people out there enamored with real estate as an asset class, as an investment. Um, I think, you know, I come across this a lot in, you know, talking to dozens and dozens of people about, you know, their wealth and how they think about it and what they want to do with it and where they think their money is placed most safely. Uh, and real estate is kind of at the top of the list for a lot of people at like, oh, you know, you can't go wrong investing in real estate. And I think the overall message today is not to say that, you know, I don't want to look real estate. I like to say stirs the soul for me too. I love real estate. You know, I'm probably over allocated to real estate myself. Um, but I just want to have a different perspective for people about alternative uses of their money and thinking about their overall asset allocation, their overall wealth allocation. You know, you don't want all your eggs in one basket. You want to be diversified. And when you're thinking about how much do I put in this basket or this basket or this basket, um, one of the things you want to look at is the return potential, right? And higher return potential assets should probably get a little bit more of your money, all, all else equal, than lower potential return assets. And I think, you know, what matters uh, for your future returns is the price that you buy it at. And as we know, you know, across the country uh, and real and in Princeton in particular, um, real estate prices have risen very rapidly since COVID. Um, you know, we're talking about you know thirty percent, call it, um, across you know broad real estate markets. And obviously, you can slice and dice those markets in a lot of different ways, even within a local market like Princeton, um, commercial, residential, so on and so forth. Um, so. You know, the math, <laughs> Josh, I mean, you, you kind of had the data. So like, why don't, why don't you kind of explain what we just did this morning? Just, we took a couple of data points. This is not a study, right? It's, but, yeah, we, I mean, it was interesting because the data was consistent. So we looked at three different rental prices. We looked at one at 1850, which is a studio in Palmer Square, which I would say the retail price, if you sold it today is about 350, right? right? Um, and then we looked at a duplex, which is a very common uh, real estate product in Princeton, not a lot of other towns, but Princeton has a lot of duplexes. So again, the rental price on that was about 4,500. You would be selling that for about 799, give or take. And then we looked at a house that was rented for 6,300 and the retail price of that would be a million three. 
million three fifty today, over half an acre in Little Brook. So there's building potential there. Um, and the consistent rate of return, right, was uh, you know in the mid threes, three point one percent, three point one percent to three point six percent, and and you the, know, con- the studio was three point one, right. So I mean, and this is this is speaking to cap rate. Uh, cap rate. You know, yep. so if you're a real estate investor, you're probably familiar with the concept of cap rate. And it's so why don't we do this? Why don't we explain what cap rate is in layman's terms? Sure. And it's very simple. It's just, you know, how much money are you going to make on the top divided by what's the asset price on the bottom, right? Or in other words, how much money would you have to put in to buy that asset, right? So it's the your yield on investment, right? Um, now, what, importantly, it just cap rate does not consider uh, the appreciation or depreciation of the asset in question. But you know, when we, when we were looking at these listings for rent, these recently listed rentings and, you know, just anecdotally, I know I have a friend who's a renter. I have a friend who's owning and renting out their place. I have a neighbor who's renting one of these Riverside houses from somebody who's a, you know, quote unquote investor. And I question the attractiveness of that investment for that person. But, (laughs) um, the point is you take your gross rental income. So that monthly rental rate, you know, divided uh, times 12, now subtract out taxes, which are quite high in Princeton. Right. So for the duplex, we figured it was about, I think it was about 10,000 10, in taxes. 10, 12, so, you know, I think it was 4,200. So, you know, we're talking $50,000 or so in rental income to that property owner, um, minus the 10,000 in taxes, minus, you know, an HOA fee, which was relevant in the studio case, um, minus we, we figured capital expenditures, you know, heater breaks, you know, happened in my rental unit last year. Um, you know, about 1% of the value of the property per year is a, is a rule of thumb for how much you should budget for those things. So when you subtract all that out from the gross rental amount, and we haven't even talked about, you know, real estate commissions to get it rented or, or, you know, any other kind of issues that might come up. Um, you know, tenant delinquencies, right? There's a lot of, lot of risk there. You subtract all that out and then divide it by the market value of that price. You're getting a number like 3.1 to 3.6%. So let's compare that to, you know, be really boring, a savings account. A high, high yield savings account. A lot of my right clients now. are having, stashing a lot of money away in high yield savings account, you know, four and a half, five percent yields. Maybe, a, maybe that's in a CD. Maybe that's in a short term treasury bond. Um, basically very safe assets that are yielding significantly higher, meaningfully more than, you know, if you were to buy a, a, a real estate property. And then that's not even to mention the sweat equity that you have to put in as an owner. I mean, you could also hire a property management company, but, you know, maybe more people should do that, right? Because they don't value their own time. I highly encourage that considering I own one. So yes, I highly encourage you. Absolutely. I know, I know in particular. I, the, one what of the friends, friends who's, who's renting in, in Princeton, you know, the, the landlord comes and mows the lawn for that family. And, you know, th- th- that, th- that's, that's time, right? Um, you know, you got to spend time on your properties, managing them, even if you do have a management company, honestly. Um, so your sweat equity is worth something too. So subtract that out of the numerator as well and on your return. Um, so, you know, whereas savings account, you have to do nothing. Um, now granted also, again, not, you're not including price appreciation in there, which is, but again, I would say that a lot of that price appreciation has happened. It's been front loaded, right. Um, with, with what's gone on since COVID. Um, so going forward, is that kind of, is there going to be a reversion to the mean in prices? I don't know. I'm not calling for that. I, no one can predict that. Um, 
That's a tough but, question. You know, you know, right now, it. I'll. I mean, I'll answer it based on current inventory levels. No, right. right? Supply so is very unfortunately, and I do mean unfortunately because um, there was a house on Rosedale Road last week, and you know, our buyer won the bidding. Twelve offers. Yeah, twelve offers over a million dollars, and it needed work. You know, so and I say that unfortunately because a lot of people are just it's soul crushing for the cons on the consumer side. Yes. Good for the seller, right? But on the on the on the buying side is a little bit little bit tough. Yeah. And I think that again, part of the message is here is that, you know, this is a historic, I hear you say this a lot. And a lot of the stuff that you put out, Josh is, you know, it's historically tight market as there's a historic sellers, sellers market. And I think that if we can get through to some people, it's like, am I really holding this property for the right reason? Should I put it out into the market and let, you know, because Princeton as a market is screaming to be owner occupied. It's not, it's not screaming to be in investor owned and, you know, rented out. Based on a 3.1, 3.5% exactly. return. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm not as familiar with other markets out there. Um, but I, I mean, there, if, if you want real estate in your portfolio, there's a lot of other ways to do that where you probably have a higher potential return. So let's say, you know, and I, I we, there's a fair number of investor landlords that listen to this podcast, uh, believe it or not. And um, they're just like, you know what? Okay. We'll give Adrian the benefit of the doubt. What would I do with my, so now I'm going to sell a million dollar asset, which I bought for $200,000, right? So now you have an $800,000, right? And I'm going to lose the depreciation of my taxes. Mm -hmm. You're going to depreciation recapture, right? Maybe I have, you know, a home equity line that I kind of, you know, keep open. Maybe I don't right now based on interest rates, but, you know, I use that for cash flow when I need it. What's a good alternative to that duplex that's now worth eight, 900,000 that I bought for 200,000. I sit down with you, you say, do what? Well, I think it totally depends on your personal situation, right? And it, when, when, for example, we have clients come to us with their current wealth picture, you know, we're looking for concentrations and risk, right? Where can we kind of get you more diversified? But importantly, the biggest impediment to doing that in most cases is taxes. So in this hypothetical scenario you're, you're talking about here, you're talking about a massive capital gain. If you haven't lived in the house for two out of the last five years, you, you don't get that $500,000 exclusion for a married couple or $250,000 for an individual on your capital gain. Um, so, you know, what are your options? I mean, you could just sell and pay your capital gains and then kind of diversify into other assets like stocks and bonds. Think, you know, we were talking about treasury yields being more attractive or higher than Princeton real estate yields right now. Um, so, you know, but again, totally different asset with totally different risk and return profile. Um, but you know, it all depends on what does the overall pie look like? How are you splitting up the pie? If Princeton real estate is 90% of your net worth, then, you know, perhaps that's a, you know, a chance to diversify into other assets that are going to give you a higher rate of return. And in 30 years, I would say that the person who invests more broadly in stocks and bonds and perhaps other forms of real estate um, will be wealthier, um, and perhaps significantly more so in, in, at the end of that time horizon. Uh, another option you can consider is 1031 exchange, right? Tax-free exchange into a, a, any number of other, you know, it, the, it's very broad how you can tax-free exchange. So usually when I bring up a 1031 exchange, right? And by the way, for anybody who does listen to the podcast, we do have two seminars coming up on December 7th and December 9th, December 7th at 6.30, December 9th, I think is at 10.15. We'll do more announcements on it. But when I say 1031 exchange, usually what happens is even a professional landlord, their eyes glaze over 
right? They they kind of know the concept of it, but they they just they don't live it day to day. Why don't you take a minute and explain what a ten thirty one exchange is? Because I know you like this concept. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's just it's a way. If you have a, a capital gain, you know, you bought a, a you bought something twenty years ago and it was two hundred thousand, and now it's worth a million. You have an eight hundred thousand dollar gain. Where when you realize that gain, or when you sell the asset, um, the IRS is going to you have capital gains tax, right? And it could be 15%, 20% of that gain for the federal level, maybe 23.8, depending on what other income you have. And then New Jersey taxes capital gains at the state income tax level. So I think it's, you know, 10%. It could be 10% in the higher bracket. Um, so, you know, that 800,000, you're talking about potentially, you know, 30, 33% of that gain is going to get taxed. Um, so instead of selling the property, uh, just outright and taking cash, you can reinvest the proceeds of that gain into another property. And there's procedures, le- you know, legal procedures for how you designate this. And you got to designate And that is, we'll be going into that. Yeah, in I'm sure with your seminar. I'm not going to even try to go there. Right. It's a lot. Yeah. Right? Um, it was a, it's funny. I, my first experience with 1031 exchange was just watching my dad do it. Um, you know, he grew up in real estate. And so I watched him uh, kind of make and lose a lot of money over the years in, in real estate um, in Princeton and elsewhere. Um, but you know, he, he worked for a guy who owned a lot of raw land that was not generating any income. It was generating some hunting lease income. And, you know, there was a big, big tax liability. This land was owned for decades. And, um, the, the owner of the land was not aware of the 1031 exchange until my dad came on, came along and said, you know what, your, your real estate portfolio should probably be turning over into more cash flowing assets. So my dad was instrumental in kind of using 1031 exchange to turn over this very, very low yielding, but highly appreciated and, and valuable uh, real estate assets into cash flowing real estate assets like buildings on on Nassau, commercial buildings on Nassau Street, for example, um, among others, you know, sold land to a golf course. And you know, like, there's a bunch of different things that my dad did in his real estate career. Um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's an, you know, it still keeps you concentrated in real estate, obviously. Um, but at least it's a, it's a way for you to maneuver. So diversified in, uh, revenue streams. Correct. Basically, or higher revenue. Yeah. It allows, it gives you some flexibility, right. um, to kind of reposition your portfolio. So, you know, go, we'll kind of jump back. You had written a really interesting article on LinkedIn, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you had talked about like, don't get taken in by the real estate hustle, mm-hmm. right? Like, and there's a lot of it. I mean, you go on Instagram yeah, or TikTok yeah. or YouTube or anything like that and obviously being in real estate you know your feed is my feed is going to be fed real estate i get it too right you do too okay what would like why don't we talk about that like not being drawn in by the real estate hustle because i I, like we're very protective of our clients as you know um and you know you see people making decisions and you just you kind of it boggles the mind so why don't you address that and talk about that another another thing that i said in that article is you know real estate is a career not an asset class um and of course it is an asset class too but i'm trying to distinguish you know the, the i mentioned sweat equity before when we were talking about these other properties in princeton that are for rent um you know the guy mowing his lawn dealing with the tenants right um the the concept of like passive income that that's like a pet peeve of mine like you know passive income is <laughs> it's it, not passive if you're mowing the lawn every Saturday exactly right? and and it's not passive if you are actively putting in a lot of work to select the investment to to do all this you know to to monitor your investment through time 
right? And so like in some sense of the word, like there's really no such thing as passive income, right? Any, any income is passive, but I mean, we, we know what it means. It's when you have enough wealth where the income from your stored wealth uh, pays for your lifestyle, right? Like that is, pa that is passive income. But if you are using your time to, to get that passive income stream going and, and, you know, investing in a bunch of real estate properties to, to get there, um, that that's fine. That's, that's, I mean, that's been lucrative for a lot of people. Uh, but I think the way that that's presented in social media, it, 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 um, exaggerates the benefits and it downplays the risks. Um, I think it downplays the time and it downplays, personally. it downplays the time yeah. that it takes to do that. Yeah. Right. Everyone's like, you know, I think in an, I, I wrote, you know, uh, these, the, the touchy feely real estate mogul, uh, I have another article. So right now you're talking about the, let's get real about real let's estate get article, real about real estate, which is a great article. Yeah. Thank you. There was like kind of seven points of, of observations I've made and working with clients about the, um, you know, intersection of real estate and their wealth. Um, you know, it goes through just, you know, everything as simple as like buying your first home to, uh, upgrading from a starter home to down, you know, uh, downsizing, uh, as an empty nester. Uh, we talk about vacation homes. We talk about rental investment properties, which is kind of getting the lion's share of what we're talking about today. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I mean, th that's, that's the point, right? It's just that it, it takes effort and you, you should be considering that your vocation, uh, as a real estate professional, if, um, you know, that is what you're doing. And, it, and like I said, like I said, there is risk. I've, I've seen firsthand the downsides of, you know, tying all your, putting all your eggs in the, in the real estate basket. And I think there's a recency bias, right? In behavioral economics, there's these behavioral biases that people exhibit with how they make investment decisions, right? And recency bias, I think is very poignant right now in real estate where people are looking at recent returns of real estate and saying, how can I go wrong? And, you know, I remember very clearly the last time that went really badly you know, in the lead up to the great financial crisis of 2008, 2009, um, uh, coincidentally, I was at Princeton at, at that time. And, um, you know, like I, my father was in real estate and that was a really tough time to, um, be over-concentrated as a family in, in that asset class. Um, so I'm not saying that that's going to happen, that that's around the corner by all means. No, I don't think now rhymes with 2007 hardly at all. Good. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, look, if we have one, one gospel to preach at Target Rock, it's diversification. Um, you know, we still have what we like and what we don't like, of course, but we also have to have the humility to know that we don't really know what's going to happen, you know, in the world, in, in, in financial markets, stock markets, bond markets, real estate markets. It's really hard to predict. Um, that doesn't mean it can't be done. It doesn't mean you can't make smart investment decisions where your intuition and your research really pays off in, in making a smart move. But for most people, most investors, um, taking a little bit more of a diversified approach through the lens of, I don't really know what state of the world is going to materialize in the future, but I want to be prepared for as many states of the world as I possibly can. And that means I got to have eggs in the basket that's really good for me in this state of the world. And I got to have some eggs in the basket that's good for me in a totally different state of the world. So I just don't know which one's going to materialize. And I think the definition of wealth is the ability to maintain a high standard of living um, in multiple future states of the world for a long time. So that's kind of like what... You might want to write that one down if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. That was... Give Adrian credit for it, but yeah. write it down. <laughs>
Thank you. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So, was, was, so what would you say to the young investor who says, and it, this is, a very, I think this is an absolute truism, right? Look, I don't have $200,000 to invest in stock. Mm-hmm. I'm just starting out in life, but I do have 25% down, mm-hmm. right? For an investment property, which I can buy for, and I'm making this up, 150. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I don't know where you're going to buy Right, exactly. That's, well, that's, that's, that's the point. But I'm just saying, like you know, yeah, I, I think that that's 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 the point. I, you know, I would be, I, I think, for young professional, it depends. Like, what's your career, right? I think that, um, you 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 want to focus on like the the best asset that you can invest in is your own human capital, right? Because that's where that's where most of your wealth is tied up in. If you if you don't have a lot of financial capital but you have the asset of time, right? You're young, you have time, you have a long horizon, uh, means you have time to take risks and make mistakes, but also, you, you know, you have time to not make mistakes and start building wealth slowly but surely and letting the magic of compounding through time kind of build wealth, right? And there's, there's different pathways to get to the same result. And some have higher risk, some have lower risk. And um, some people are going to be behaviorally and personality wise predisposed to, you know, they, they need a high volatility, high risk, high reward kind of lifestyle, um, you know, versus other people who are, you know, more consistently kind of chip away at a goal. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, to your point about like, okay, I have $25,000 down or I have 25% down that I could use, like, should I buy an investment property with it? I think the two things you got to be careful of are are you going to select the right property and are you going to have the tools and the time to do that properly and make a really good decision? Because, you know, buying one property is very undiversified, right? You could go and you could put that 25% down payment in a diversified basket of stocks that tracks, call it the S&P 500, right? There's a lot of ETFs out there that you could just buy. I could buy 500, 1500, 3000 companies, shares of different companies operating around the country, around the world, in all different industries, all different sectors. Um, you know, like to me, that is a, that is a, the first thing that you should be doing with your money. Um, before you think about kind of diverting your, your time and attention away from whatever your job is to earn that money in the first place and enhancing your career and whatever your industry is, right. Rather than kind of getting on this real estate side hustle. Again, I don't want to totally discourage it because it's for some, some people. It's just, I think it's, I think it's, it's, you know, being pragmatic about it, right. right. Versus jumping in with your eyes closed. Right. So, so it's, it's selecting, it's selecting the right property. Right. Um, and then, you know, if, if selecting the right tenants, right. Cause then you're going to have one tenant's income. That's going to be potentially, you know, it depends on what kind of property you buy, of course. Um, but for, you know, entry level investment properties, you're not going to be able to be really diversified in your, in your tenants. Um, and then being, being careful about how much time it's going to take you. Right. I was kind of talking about this, right. It's you're, you're probably underestimating how much time it's going to take to, um, actively manage a single rental property in any market. Right. Um, and that's the thing where I think people, you know, get discouraged, right. mm -hmm. And they'll buy one, maybe two, and then get overwhelmed. Their heater breaks, the tenant calls them, there's complaints and they tap out and in order to break through in any asset class, you have to accumulate yeah. wealth. But and again, that's, that's a career, right? And there, there, that's are, what I'm saying. There yeah, are lots of tap. thought leaders out there that are going to help you. If you want to be, you know, I, I don't know the stats on it, but say like, you know, 50 people get this grand idea that they're going to be a real estate mogul. 
and they're going to start small and then, you know, they're going to, they're going to buy one and, or they're going to do the play where they buy a duplex and they rent out the half. That's great. But like what, what you're doing there is you're just, you're, it's, it's lifestyle checking. It's, it's, you're not letting lifestyle creep take over, right? You are, re, what real estate is great for, for a lot of people is kind of forced savings, right? They're, they're putting their money into something tangible that they can see and it inspires them to curtail their own consumption of the asset, right? I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze myself into half of it, or I'm going to squeeze myself into run one room and rent out the other three. Like that's, that's the same principle could apply with stock investing, right? I'm going to spend, you know, half of my income and invest the other half and spend a, instead of spending all of my income and, and then some putting money on a credit card, right? So it's all the same principles of delayed gratification and letting time and compounding not get interrupted. So when you're saying people start going down this, you know, I'm going to be a real estate mogul path and I'm going to start small and I'm just going to knock over these dominoes one by one until I'm, you know, name your favorite real estate tycoon, right? Yeah. <laughs> like like that, that's, that's possible, right? This is uh, absolutely go, go after it. If, but like be realistic about you know, how hard it is to do that. It's, it's not as easy as people make it sound. Um, and also just be realistic about like, you know, it's part of a diversified portfolio, right? And there are other places to store your wealth other than in real, real property. So what would you say to the investor? Like, so they, they say, okay, Adrian, we're going to take you up on this. We're going to sell our property. Of course, they're going to call me to do it, but they're going to sell their property. Um, now they have cash, right? Um, Maybe they don't do the 1031 exchange, just kind of ready to tap out. But they say, you know what? I want to do donate to charity, right? And I know that you're a big advocate of that. And so why don't we talk about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, appreciated assets. Um, and we, we have some, you know, mutual interest here in promoting, um, you know, charitable giving and in, yeah. in the causes we care about. Um, so um, one option is uh, using a donor advised fund. Um, so if you have an appreciated asset, um, and I wrote another article about this on LinkedIn. Um, it's called creating a charitable giving war chest, something like that. Um, and you know, it, the, I'm really big on donor advised funds. I've opened up several for my clients, um, who have mostly, you know, it's all been appreciated stock so far. You know, a lot of this is people get paid in stock by their employer and they haven't sold it. And, you know, you know they've held it for a while and now it's massively appreciated. Here's the main thing. If you want to donate to charity and you have an appreciated asset that you can donate, donate that instead of cash. Do not donate cash if you have an appreciated asset that you can donate instead. Now, it's pretty easy with a stock. It's a little more logistically challenging with real estate, but it can be done. I have somebody doing it as we speak. That's great. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and we're talking probably about bigger dollars, um, you know, depending on, on, you know, what kind of property it is, but um, it could be big dollars with stocks as well. But the point is... Um, that appreciation, you're talking about capital gains taxes, 501c3 organizations, as you know, are tax deductible for us. When we donate to them, they're tax deductible. I think what a lot of people uh, don't appreciate, you know, charities will say like, oh yeah, your donations are tax deductible. It's like, well, you really can't say that because you don't know if it's deductible for me. Because if I'm taking the standard deduction, it, it, there's no tax benefit donating to charity for me uh, because I'm taking the standard deduction. I'm not itemizing my deductions on the tax return. Um, but if you're a real, if you're a property owner in Princeton, you have a mortgage, it's very likely that you're itemizing deductions. So I think a lot of your listeners are probably itemizing, um, you know, for a married couple, it's about, you know, the standard deduction is about 27,000. So if you were state and local taxes, um, which thanks to the 2017 
Tax Cuts and Jobs Act gets capped at $10,000. So you might be paying $20,000 in real estate taxes in Princeton, but you're only going to get credit to deduct 10000 of that as a married couple. But So that leaves about a $17,000 bucket that you have to fill, um, which is usually mortgage interest. So if you have a mortgage on your property, $17,000 of mortgage interest in one year is an itemizable deduction, right? So if you exceed that, which I think a lot of people in Princeton, you know, if you have a kind of the typical 20% down kind of 30-year mortgage situation, um, you're probably itemizing. So now if you look at the rest of your wealth picture, if you have appreciated stock or appreciated investment property, donate it, put it into a donor-advised fund, which you still control. It's out of your estate, but you still control it. You control when it's dispersed, but immediately you're able to sell those assets within the donor-advised fund tax-free and then reinvest the proceeds into a diversified portfolio. And then you can take your time doling it out to causes you care about. So anytime I come across somebody who's, who's passionate about um, some kind of charitable cause, like I know you're talking about Rescue Mission of Trenton. You have an event coming up in the, at the Ivy? Yeah. October 4th, yeah. October 4th. Yeah. Uh, it's on my calendar. Awesome. I'll see you there. Um, and the thing that I would like to plug, um, you know, the kind of two things. One is um, Arm in Arm, which is also based in Trenton. Great organization. I was on the board there for several years, just recently rolled off. Um, and then, um, so, and then the second thing is I'm, I'm an active board member on is the Friends of Herontown Woods. Yeah. If you want to talk about real estate again, uh, that is the Herontown Woods are a gorgeous piece of real estate. Yeah. Um, I was on Mayor Frieda's podcast a couple months ago talking about our work there, um, restoring the Veblen House, which Ingela and I took a tour of a couple of years ago together. Um, and we kind of dreamed about the possibilities of turning the the old Veblen House, Oswald Veblen, Elizabeth Veblen were the couple who lived in the house. Oswald was a math professor at Princeton, donated the whole preserve to Mercer County in 1957. It was given to Princeton around 2013. And our kind of small but mighty nonprofit, the Friends of Harrington Woods, has been um, working hard to kind of clear out trails and host all kinds of really fun events at the woods. Um, so if, if I mean, the intersection of charitable giving and wealth management and real estate, um, you know, come talk to us about um, your wealth picture and how we can kind of put the pieces together to make a big impact on charities as tax efficiently as possible. Awesome. So thank you for coming today. How do, how do people find you? What's the easiest way to track you down? Uh, I think just LinkedIn. Just find me, Adrian Calaruso on LinkedIn. And I'll post it. I'll absolutely share yeah, it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I put, you know, my partner, Matt and I put, put a lot of stuff on there. Uh, we have our biweekly newsletter um, about, you know, all things wealth management. Um, and yeah, we hope to see some of you on there. Awesome. Thank you for coming in today. Thank you for being the first guest on The Wilton Report. Thank you so much, Josh. So that's it. That's a wrap for the 36th episode of The Wilton Report. Thank you to Adrian for being our first guest. And uh, we'll see you guys all soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for joining us for The Wilton Report. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please share it with your friends. And be sure to subscribe to The Wilton Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.